Hey guys, I'm Amy Marco, and you're listening to the Go Let Go podcast. This is a place to talk about finding hope and peace and freedom and even fun, no matter what life brings our way. And guys, there's a reason that I use that phrase all the time, because learning to go and to let go literally wrecked my life. But it's also the phrase that brought me here, and it's the journey that God used to call me to himself. I always remind you that whatever I'm talking about with you here is something that I'm working out in my own heart. So I hope you'll dig in with me and learn alongside me this week. You know, there is something really powerful that comes from this hard lesson of letting go. And as we talk about the fight of our lives this week, we're going to be looking at a story where God's people had no choice but to let go. And when they did, he showed up in such a powerful way. And I hope my conversation here encourages both of us to let go enough to let him show up in a powerful way in our own lives. Last week, we spent a lot of time talking about fear. We talked about where it came from and what it looks like, how we can fight it. See, God's word says, do not fear, but it doesn't stop there. So we dug deeper and we found so many places in God's word where he shows us how to fight that fear. And if we know anything, it's that fear doesn't fight fair because it's a tool of Satan, our enemy. It's one of those things that he uses in his ultimate goal to steal and to kill and to destroy us. And one of the verses that I mentioned last week and that I've been spending time digging into is Deuteronomy 3.22. Now this is God talking to Joshua, the guy who is going to be responsible to lead his people into the land that God promised them. And you guys, they've seen it all. These are the people that escaped slavery in Egypt with Moses. We all know that name from the Bible. See, they've seen and they've experienced the worst of the worst. And they've also seen God show up and lead them. And none of it has been easy. They've had years where the only reason they've eaten is because God has fed them literally from the air. And in the midst of all of this, just... Like us, they were trouble. You guys, they complained about everything. And because of that, they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. But now, here comes the next generation. They were the children who grew up watching all of this. And they're being told that they are done wandering. That it's time to go into the land that God has promised to give to his people. They're being told that it's time to fight. And Joshua is the one who's going to lead them. Now they're scared to death of these powerful groups of people that they're about to attack. So God comes and tells them, you shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. Those words in Deuteronomy 3.22 actually stopped me in my tracks as I read them. And I promised myself that I would dig into this concept of the fight. Because life often really does feel like a fight, and God's word mentions this fight all the time. So what does it mean to fight that good fight? How do we fight through all of these things in our life, and what does it even mean to have God fighting for us? 
I want to dig in to understand this a little better. So as usual, I'm going to bring you along with me. But I want to start with the beginning of this fascinating story just to get us ready for the conversation. So I'm a longtime church girl, and this is a story I'd probably heard 3,000 times before I really read it as an adult and allowed my imagination to run wild with it. And this is also a story that I happened to be reading through two years ago when I was going through the darkest, hardest days of my life. And it gave me so much hope. I think it's kind of funny that we really only tell Bible stories to children because I feel like when we're little kids, we hear these Bible stories But because we don't understand how the world works, they're kind of lost on us, right? I mean, they're cool stories, and we get this main point, like God is powerful and he takes care of us. But I don't think we quite have that perspective as children to understand just how crazy it really is that something like this actually happened. So Exodus 14 hit so different as I studied it as an adult. And it's not just the crazy story of God's people crossing the Red Sea on dry land. It's the way that he orchestrated this whole thing to teach them to go and to let go. So I'm sure you're not surprised that this story resonates with me. He used this to prove to them that they could trust that he would fight for them as they learned how to let go. So let's set the stage here for the story because God's people had actually been enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. Just let that settle in for a bit. Now, I know they had different lifespans back then, but let's put it into perspective for us. See, I look at 17 generations when I see this, right? If someone's having kids at 25 years of age, you could be 17 generations deep in 430 years. And while we're over here talking about the fight that our life is, how to fight the fight and learning to let the Lord fight for us, if that's hard for us to imagine, just think how hard it was for the Israelites to imagine. Because they had been slaves for 17 generations. Slaves don't fight, they work. They've lost their identity as God's people because they had been held down for so long. It's really clear as we go through these chapters that these people are resigned. They're miserable, and they definitely don't get along. You'll notice all of this if you keep reading through these adventures. But to this point, they're God's people, and they haven't seen him fight for them. They're about to find out what that looks like, and this is epic. So God sends Moses, you've heard of the guy, to the Pharaoh, who's basically the boss of the Egyptians, with a message that this time of slavery of God's people is over. And I'm sure you can imagine that this Pharaoh boss does not take that well. So you can go read it for yourself, but this isn't Moses telling Pharaoh to let his people go. This is God's message. And he starts to back it up with some crazy God power. See, Pharaoh initially says, no, I'm not letting these slaves go. And God starts sending plagues. He sends frogs and flies, blood and bugs. It's crazy. And each time that God allows something to happen, the Pharaoh says, okay, make it stop. They can go. Then when the plague goes away, he changes his mind. 
Well, in the end, his heart is so hard. And you guys, he drags this out so long that eventually the firstborn sons of every family in this kingdom die and they are devastated. The Egyptians actually start begging God's people to go. They're basically running them out and they're paying them. They're giving them gifts to support them as they go. They just want them out. And for the first time, God's people start seeing what it means to have God fight for them. But this is only the beginning. Because the landscape of their entire existence and their identity is about to be significantly altered. They go. They step out, this whole nation of people leave captivity and they follow Moses who tells them that God has this land promised for them. They get out of Egypt and this is a lot of people, over half a million men. So that's not even counting their wives and their children and everything that they own. And as they're going, Pharaoh changes his mind again. He says, what have we done We let those guys go. Let's go get them back. And at the time, God's people, probably traveling slow with their families and animals and every single thing they own, see this cloud of dust behind them. And they realize in that moment that the Egyptians are in hot pursuit. At the same time, they look in front of them and they realize that there is this huge body of water there. They're trapped. They're scared to death, they're exhausted, and they're mad. We know this because their response is this. We should have stayed as slaves in Egypt. That's a big statement, but it makes sense. Because right now it looks like they have two options, die swimming in that sea or die by the sword. Now remember, they weren't fighters yet. And at this moment, God steps in to fight for them in a powerful way. So this puts us in the exact moment that Moses, their leader, speaks up in Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. He says, do not be afraid. Stand your ground and you will see what the Lord will do to save you today. You will never see these Egyptians again. The Lord will fight for you and there is no need for you to do anything. I can only imagine their reaction because I already know what mine would have been. Seriously, millions of people, men and women and children, this powerful army coming in behind them, a huge sea in front of them, and Moses, the leader, is going to say, just be still. Now we're going to talk about what that means a little bit deeper next week. But in that moment, God puts this cloud of darkness between them and the army behind them. And Moses lifts up his staff over the sea and the wind starts to blow. Just put yourself in this story for a moment. As the wind howls, the water of this sea starts to part into two walls and the Israelites start walking across on dry land. This isn't a creek or a little lake. This is the Red Sea. Crossing it was so unexpected to them that when they saw it, they wished they could go back to slavery. I did some research and it would take six hours to cross that sea. But Moses kept his hands up and that water separated 
You guys, God's people walked through on dry land. How could it even be dry? How hard would that be? I can only imagine what was going through their minds as they took the hands of their families, knowing that any moment those walls of water on either side could rush in and drown them. But that army behind them wasn't going anywhere. So they start running through. And I just can't help but to imagine how loud it must have been with the wind roaring and the water standing. And there were probably rocks and this rugged seabed. You guys, Moses said it. Today, you will see what the Lord will do to save you. This was a broken, used up group of people. And this was just the beginning because they were about to experience what it truly means for God to fight for them. Guys, I don't mean to leave you hanging, but I'm out of time, so I'm going to leave the next half of the story for next week. You can hit subscribe to be reminded of our next episode. A new episode is going to drop every Tuesday morning, but while you wait, I want to encourage you to go read Exodus 11 with fresh eyes. I promise you won't regret it. Keep in mind this week that in our fear, we so often forget that there are options available to us that we can't even imagine. We can't even see them right now. But they're there because we have a God who will fight for us. And if you don't know him yet, stick around to the end to get my contact information. I would love to chat with you. As we learn how to go and how to let go, we start to unclench those tight fists in surrender and we find ourselves with free hands. Hands that can serve and love and do things that really matter. And I think if we're being honest, our hands are tired of grasping. I think we're ready to accept something good from God and to hang on tight to His hand. Because life is going to take us where we least expect it. And that's why I'm here to ask both of us, what are we holding on to? What do we need to let go of? And are we really willing to go wherever God leads us as we hang on to him? You guys, we are in good hands. There is always hope and the best is yet to come. As always... I would love to hear from you. You can find me at my website. It's goletgo.org. Click on that contact button to shoot me a message or find me on Facebook or Instagram. I'm Amy Marco. Talk to you next time.